Wait for it, wait for it, and we're live. Hey, all you crazy sci-fi and fantasy fans, it's time for your daily dose of shenanigans over here at the Blasters and Blades podcast. Just a couple of nerdy veterans and one chaos coordinator geeking out over our science fiction passions and fantastical fantasies. A place where magic is king, the sky is the limit, and space is the place we are the podcast that puts the fun in dysfunction. So without further ado, we're going to let our guest, Mr. James Kerr, introduce himself to our listeners and viewers at home. Hello, I'm James Kerr. I'm the publisher for Radio James Games, a tabletop role-playing game publishing house. Last year, we published Fight to Survive, role-playing martial arts meets heart. And this year, I'm on to really try and push my new crowdfunding campaign for Solo Martial Blues, which is a solo role-playing game based on the same system. And it's wonderful to be here. Thank you, guys. You're welcome. But when you said house, you almost sounded Canadian. Did you like cross the border? Do we need to talk to somebody about that accent? JR, I am Canadian. What? (laughs) <laughs> yeah what are you talking about <laughs> house talking what's, what's wrong with house what, what was is, is that how, how you we, guys we say house pre-show and it's exactly even... how we say it house oh. yeah you were talking in the pre-show and you didn't even once mention tinny hortons i think that's like required nationally that's why i, you was, know, I was i was you guys were talking about beer i was going to say you know that i don't understand a beer market that doesn't isn't filled with small tiny breweries which is all i know it, uh, it is here now the, the it's becoming more of a thing here, too. I, I unfortunately we're not we're not where California is. So so what is your stance since we're talking beers? What's your stance on IPAs? I'm confer- con- convinced that nobody really likes them. Just hipsters say they do, so they can sound. Cool. I will pu- I will punch you. I will punch you right in the face. <laughs> well, I, I I hate to start off the interview being really disappointing, but uh, guys, I'm I'm uh, I'm celiac, so I don't drink beer. I, it's deadly to me and i yeah, I hate, yeah I'm, I'm the it's, uncoolest person in the room now name your poison it's beer or any of that shit <laughs> for change wait, wait, wait. so you can't have most liquors either can you not most of them i can have some things like rum and vodka and uh uh but most of them are off to wine right? i guess but uh anything with wheat or barley is off the table right yeah grain based yeah. Alcohol. There we go. I started the whole thing talking to my asthma. Um, no, that's, that's really interesting because because celiacs and we don't. It's not really a topic we toppled on this show. Wait, so can you have honey based? So like you could have mead because we were talking about that in the pre-show too. Yeah, depending on what they put in the mead, because there's lots of different mead recipes. Uh, I mean, I have different friends who make mead, and some of them are are gluten free, and some of them are not. Okay. Because that's so, a big thing, right? That it's gluten free. Right? It can be. I mean, it's it's honey based, right? Um, so yeah. you might end up uh, you might end up pulling out a battle axe and trying to raid the Saxons or something. But otherwise, you know, it's they had it coming. If we're being entirely honest, I like raiding Saxons. The Wait, only what? thing that makes me sad about all that is he lives in Canada, or he's from Canada, and he can't even drink a puppers. I don't think that's a real beer brand up there. It is now. <laughs> we're we're big fans of the show Letter Kenny. Oh, okay, Letter Kenny, you don't even understand, Nick, how much Letter Kenny is how I grew up. Every word in that show is without exaggeration, and people who watch it think, "Oh, it must be bloated. It must be blown up. It must." No, 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 no. This, this is. I grew up in a small town in Ontario, that's about okay twenty miles away from where he's talking about where Jared Kelso right. grew up. Right. So Jared Kelso is the kind of guy that I would be spending weekends with, 
growing up. Uh, Jared Kessel is my spirit animal. Like, <laughs> I'm, I'm a, I was born and raised American, but watching that show, like one, I, I grew up on a farm or well, ranch, technically. Um, I play hockey. I, I used to like to fish. I had the unpleasure of ice fishing. I didn't enjoy it because <laughs> I was cold, but I like riding snowmobiles. I, I like everything about that show. I'd like, cause it connected with me, which is weird. Cause I don't live on that side of the border, but all those things that he, that he enjoys or his like mentality um, is very akin to how I grew up. I also grew up on a farm on a small Ontario dairy farm. Uh, and in my teenage years in a small town. I, I don't know what you guys consider a small town, but for us, it was like under a thousand people usually. Yeah, uh, maybe, that's pretty close. You know, maybe at the height of tourist season, it might balloon up to 3000 or something if you count all right. the surrounding areas or whatever. But there wasn't too much to do in your teenage years other than to get drunk and get into fights. Uh, <laughs> and tip cows. I don't know if that's a thing in Canada, but we, we like to go and tip cows. Anybody tries to tip my cows, I'm going to fight them. That's, that's what it comes down to. Uh, <laughs> Make sure you unbutton your sleeves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, it's it's uh, that's a that's a good connection. So hi, yeah, what are we yeah, doing here tonight, guys? Are we just talking <laughs> about cows? Or? We're here to talk about you and the music you're producing. Well, first, first there, there is a song. There's a song about your people called "Stronger Beer" about how Canadians have it better because they can get drunk cheaper because your beer is stronger. <laughs> okay, so, uh, it's off by like two or three percent isn't it like the average difference in in Just alcohol about, yeah yeah that's quite um, a lot we used to travel to vancouver when i was stationed up in washington state uh so we could get well one the drinking age wasn't 21 we could go over there and hit a bar at 18 19 years old kind of like mexico but far prettier and uh yeah we used to do that and then the and the alcohol percentage like you drink one beer being lightweights because we're 18 90 19 year olds soldiers like oh my god this canadian beer is the shit and then we would try to bring it back with us and we'd always get hit by customs <laughs> well at least you tried you had the tenacity to, I, to I, I i felt obligated i felt that i had to do that because i enjoyed the beer so much cool. all right well all right. Let, let's you know let's try and tie this into the topic here so i'm uh by trade I'm it, a tabletop. my first bar fight was in a canadian bar in vancouver well, there you go. A Canadian bar in there Vancouver is, is, is probably the best place as any to get into a bar fight. Um, yeah, I, I did okay. I didn't die. <laughs> evidently. Obviously. But, yeah. For myself, uh, I've been a tabletop role-playing game publisher for about seven years now. Uh, I've worked in the traditional publishing space. I do trade magazines during the day, mm -hmm. so I get to do the fun stuff so to speak at night with Radio James Games. The first game under this publishing house that I published was a martial arts game, a, 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 a gritty urban try and die martial arts. Uh, all my other credits are with other publishing houses. Uh, so let's focus on this one. And, uh, and then I'm returning this year doing a crowdfunder for a solo version of the game because solo games are, are hot right now and they're fun and it's, it's exciting to get, uh, to get into that design space, certainly as a designer. And so I'm applying the rules of, fight to survive role-playing martial arts meets heart to a solo game to make this a little bit more of a circle. Uh, I designed both of these games because I had a rough growing up in a small town 
and would get into fights. And none of the role-playing games I found had anything to do with getting into a fight. <laughs> and any of them were so heavily abstracted into, uh, into just artificial number structures, or they were so intricate and gritty and balanced like Eric Wujic's Ninjas and Super Spies that you had to have a black belt in order to understand what was going on. So I wanted a game where you could play martial arts and you didn't have to know martial arts and it would feel intuitive and it would feel like getting into a fight feels. I mean, obviously there's going to be some compromises, uh, but I wanted to try and capture the rush of adrenaline, the, uh, the sadness, the shock, you know, because people, when they don't have a lot of experience in fights, they forget, like, as soon as you get punched in the face, you know, your world changes, your, your perspective yeah. changes. You, I you're not thinking anymore. Um, and so how do you get into that? How do you try and capture that into a, a tabletop role-playing game system? And a then device that punches you in the face that comes in the box. <laughs> that's <laughs> on a timer. You so you don't that's, know. That's the stretch that goal. That's the stretch goal, Nick. And, and so we're, oh, we're keeping it, we're keeping it small. I'm super excited about this. Not um, everyone can afford the like self the boxing glove on a spring that uh, oh, <laughs> I'll sell my stepson to get that. <laughs> well, well, the point is. I really wanted to capture the spirit of getting into a fight, the good and the bad of that, right? Um, yeah. Obviously the bad of that. But also, how can we do that and celebrate the fun kind of media influences that we have? Things like um, Jean-Claude Van Damme's Bloodsport from 1988, which is glorious in its own way. And it, and it's not very real and you know, it's, it's, it's exaggerated. It's emotional. Oh it's yeah. Brick don't tragic, hit back. That's one of my favorite lines from that but movie. It's, uh, Brick don't yeah. Hit well, back. boards don't hit back. You know, technically that was from enter the dragon first. I'll, I'll, yeah. I'll point that out. But um, yeah. So I really wanted to indulge my love of those things because I found that all the tabletop role-playing games are trying to emulate something like that. were too fantastic and wanted you to throw fireballs and wanted to, you know, you have to be right. able to run up walls and something. And, and Wuxia is, is a lot of fun, but I wanted something that was down to earth and was grounded where just Jean-Claude Van Damme doing a whirlwind kick stuff. Is, yeah. is wow. And, you know, like we're going to pretend that people don't just back up a little to get out of the way of that kick. But uh, <laughs> and they uh, see it coming. Yeah, well, it's it's pretty. I guess the idea is that you're just so caught up in in the moment of martial prowess that you uh, right the, that you sucker somebody into getting hit three times. Yeah. Well, I mean that I would say that's ninety percent of a lot of martial arts, especially when you start getting into mixed martial arts. Because I studied Brazilian Jiu Jitsu in the nineties when that was fresh. Um, I studied karate when I was a kid. Um, a little bit of kickboxing and taekwondo, and it's every instructor is going to tell you it's a chess match. You know, you're trying to outsmart the player that you're against and martial arts is very same. So like you kind of suspend disbelief when people start doing a tornado kick, mm. you know, things like that. Cause you're like, oh, okay, maybe there's an opportunity in there. And next thing you know, you're kicked in the face. You're like, I, I whatever the opportunity was, I missed it. <laughs> Cause, well, I'll say cause that now I don't a, have a tooth. It's a chess match. If you've got people on equal skill, facing each other mm. down like at the point at which you they know kind of your range of of options and you know their range of options then it becomes a chess match but most right. fights you get into are not going to be with people who know how to fight right they're going to be people who right. are are either overreacting to the circumstance or they're shocked and they're scared or they're both 
right? Yeah, you um, start hitting that fight or flight. And really, they're fighting themselves, and they're just coming out swinging. Correct. Um, but, uh, but I mean, so, it's, it's getting a little bit off topic of the game. But like, <laughs> no, no, but it does bring up an interesting point because that's usually called the universal fight plan, which is people that don't know how to fight, they don't, they're not trained in any type of uh, what's the word I'm looking for um, discipline. You know, they they have the universal fight plan to come out. They start throwing fucking sorry, family oriented show. I dropped the network. Bleep that. Uh, they start throwing haymakers and uppercuts and, you know, the, the giant power moves. Well, they start throwing yeah. haymakers until they get too close and then try to jersey and punch you in the stomach, right? Right. <laughs> now, I was raised playing hockey, so my first instinct is to pull your shirt over your head and then just start throwing, you know, jabs into your jaw until you stop fighting. So I started but, martial arts. Well, first, I did the 1980s kid thing and I did the Chuck Norris karate studio stuff uh, back in same. the day. Uh, cause they had, if you, if you signed up every so often, you get the three free lessons and everyone would like quit after that, but you kept coming for those three free lessons. Oh, um, I got a free key, which was awesome. Nice. Uh, but other than that, I, I wrestled through high school. And so for me, my first instinct still go for the legs. Now would the Chuck Norris school have been Tang Sudo properly, or was that by the time he transferred into it being Chuck Kundo, I think is what he called it. Something like that. I, I was a Chuck Kundo guy. I right. think it was just, I thought it was just generic karate with his like likeness. Like I still remember the, oh, oh, oh. you know, it's very karate kid. Well, I mean, I don't want to, I don't want to martial out nerds out, martial arts nerd out on you guys, but Tang Sudo is like a Korean form of karate. And it was the basis that Chuck Norris had. And it was the, um, the martial art that Mike Stone knew and Mike Stone did the choreography for the karate kid in 1984. And he modeled the Cobra Kai dojo after Tong Sudo. So Johnny comes out doing Tong Sudo moves kind of. And then, uh, Daniel, I think is Goju Ryu was the basis for, uh, somebody can correct me in the comments. So if I'm, I, the I'm sure they will. Cause the internet loves to do so that. I did like, a quick Google search, search and, is uh, Tom's more aggressive. Tongsudo is pretty balanced hand and foot. Um, it's aggressive and it's it's longer range than most of them uh, wow. that are tend to be tighter. Like Goju Ryu is more blocks and and uh, transitions into throws, like strike transitions into throws. Um, from what I know, I haven't studied either of them. I've studied other things. <laughs> so I looked it up. The Chuck Norris um, system, which was was formerly known as Chun Kook Do, uh, probably butchering the pronunciation. So you were right that that's what it was. Oh, well, it started in 1990, so that wasn't, yeah. I didn't uh, do. And that change officially named stuff was said it was 99, the name changed. I didn't think the studios were still there by then. Um, like I said, other than wrestling and judo as a kid on the Navy base, like that was it. But let's let's finish the introduction real quick. So uh, we I found. Know, man, like we, we went in both feet in just talking about yeah, stuff. No, it's, it's good it's good pretty it's cool. why I didn't interrupt so we tell you dear listener how we found him so we found him on the den of sin known as twitter uh last year when he was doing his kickstarter pimping all over the place uh but we're totally his favorites he likes us best he said so um <laughs> off the record of course so we're going to tell you about it um and so once we found him now we have to test him last time he did the regular religion question so this time we have a new one are you ready for this james i am my body right. is ready all right, so the religion of the throat punch, Three Ninjas, Lionheart, which is the 90s film with Van Damme, or Street Fighter? Oh, my God. 
Okay. I mean, I'm, I'm going to give you a more complete answer than just saying one, which is to say that um, Three Ninjas didn't age well. Street Fighter, I have a special place in my heart for, like, especially, uh, but it has to do with the balance of how cheesy it is, how wonderful Raul Julia is, and um, I don't know, the particular place it holds in action movie cinema. All I can imagine is how coked up Jean-Claude Van Damme was. Personally, I like Lionheart a lot. It's a kind of 80s martial arts movie that just happened to fall spill into the 90s a little. It's uh, one of the quintessential, like, guy gets caught up in a uh, an underground fighting ring movies. It's passionate. It's interesting. It's got some great shots. Um, curiously, if you look at the plot of it again, it's got some atypical things. It starts off as a revenge story, but with a guy's brother being killed. But as soon as he gets there, the guys who killed his brother are in jail and it's over so the whole movie becomes about trying to support the wife and kid that he left behind and that's very strange for a movie like that that's very atypical and i think it's a lot more interesting than people sometimes give it credit for um internationally it was known for a, a, a lot of different under a lot of different titles like wrong bet because at the end of the movie you know, when, when his friend is bet against him and he's like, wrong bet. Because, uh, you know, he's going to win after all against Attila. Uh, no, I really like it. I, I watched that movie, not regularly, but like I've watched it quite a few times. Well, and that brings up an interesting point because you don't really see that in cinema where the motivation changes. Uh, I don't want to say mid-film, but you know what I'm saying. Yeah. Uh, usually the motivation is established early on of why the hero, the protagonist is doing what he's doing. And it's also got some interesting relationships. Like you've got this rich woman who kind of wants Jean-Claude Van Damme under her thumb. And the implication is that he sleeps with her. And that's a very strange relationship. Uh, And I I feel like the same script with, if somebody had approached it uh, more intensely could have really sung, but uh, I really like it because like a lot of genre films, it's meaningful in terms of how much you get out of it, not necessarily how much of it is on the screen. Here, here, and here's where I get artsy fartsy, as JR likes to point out. Um, with Lionheart, um, it had some very gladiatorial ancient Rome themes. So you had the fighter that was doing well, where in gladi- gladiator times, women would pay exuberant, amount, exuberant amounts of money to have a single night relation or encounter with said gladiator. So no, I I'm with you Lionheart. Um, I just think the question, if you're going to throw in two Jean-Claude Van Damme movies, why not throw in Bloodsport or Double Impact? Well, <laughs> you know? because Bloodsport, I, I love Double Impact because I think he, I think he doesn't get enough credit for how humorously he played him against himself. On I did not walk out of that film. Yeah. I walked out of the one where he was with the basketball player. Oh, with the tiger at the end with Mickey Rourke? Yeah. Oh, so horrible. So bad. Well, I mean, he goes, he went through waves, right? But like, as far as I'm concerned, Bloodsport is kind of the perfect American martial arts film. It really Uh, is. So, I mean, I think that Bloodsport 2 doesn't get enough credit. uh, And uh, there are other many fine, like Kickboxer, but there's many fine American martial arts films that don't get a lot of hype, like King of Kickboxers with Billy Banks, for instance was a great American martial arts film. It was choreographed by, I think, Corey Yoon. Um, but uh, but Bloodsport, it's hard not to hold it up. And, you Billy know... Billy Blanks was a good friend of my father. 
Well, he apparently he's a nice he's guy. <laughs> he's he's an amazing dude. I got to meet him when I was like seven. My That's awesome. That's great. Um, one of the coolest dudes I ever met. Like super uplifting, super motivational. Like his energy was just crazy. That's you know, wild. it made me think I could I could roundhouse kick a mountain. <laughs> you know, he was the well. There's a reason dude. why he motivated America with Tybo in the yeah. late nineties. You know. But for me, blood a particular scene in Bloodsport is what made me write the role-playing game fight to survive, which is he's on the Hong Kong bus and he's touring around, and you got Stan Bush playing in the background, some like cheesy song called On My Own, and John Claude Van Damme is being contemplative. He's full acting mode, right? And then he uh sees his enemy Chong Lee in a reflection in the mirror and goes, <gasps> And then, you know, it turns out he's not actually there. And I was watching that and I thought, well, damn, you know, I freaking love this stuff. Like this is, this is, it's emotional. It's, it's neat. It's interesting. It, it resonates. Uh, and this in a genre that is often maligned for poor storytelling. Right. But I think he was very emotive in that movie. I think he was very, to me, he communicated an awful lot of, of passion as a child in ways that I, uh, I don't know, like a, a lot of TV when you're a kid is just people talking and talking about stuff you don't really understand. I right. completely understood what Jean-Claude Van Damme was doing. When he's like searching around because he's blind, I'm like, oh no, Jean-Claude Van Damme. <laughs> you know, it's, it's it made a lot oh, of sense. And the, the arena is slanted at that point. Yeah, it is, oh, okay. yeah. I, that's so, one of my favorite guilty pleasure movies. Is absolutely. So I wanted to make a role-playing game where things like that actually came up in a relevant way mechanically. So I did that with fight to survive in a way that you are Marshall fellows. And then now I'm doing it again with solo Marshall blues in a way where you are just one lonely fighter trying to make it on your own. And it has all the themes of isolation and uh, you against the world that a lot of those genre films do. That's a very interesting premise. Um, did you find it challenging to make it a, because it, it's single player, right? So you yeah. play by yourself. Yes. In in a world of tabletop games where it's usually you you they gear it towards uh, a group, did you find that challenging to strip away the group to make it a single player entity that you felt fulfilled in uh, moving forward? I, I, I did because in the tabletop game, the it's pretty baked into the rules why you need each other. Because a lot of the problems, one problem that keeps coming up in designing tabletop role-playing games in general is like, oh, you're all different weird characters. We're just going to kind of pretend that you need each other. We're just going to suspend disbelief that you need to be on yeah, this quest. The, the bard needs the paladin, right. needs the exactly. elf. Needs well, especially the when everybody is like very, very wacky things. You know, you've right. got this guy is a human rabbit who is a samurai. And then this person is a computer hacker with a laser eye. And like, like, why, how do these people even know each other? Why are they, why do they have anything to do with each other? So, and, and a lot of systems. Saki Ojimbo in my head, well, the rabbit samurai. <laughs> just, it was just to the top of mind, I guess. But the, the oh, point it's is, good. it's an invisible wall that you are going to do stuff together. So I wanted to make sure that in Fight to Survive, there was a mechanical reason for you to be traveling as martial fellows and fighting together. Right. Trying to strip that out for solo martial blues was challenging, but there are lots of amazing one-player tabletop role-playing games out there now. And the space 
you can kind of argue that one player tabletop role-playing games go back to the 70s kind of but by and large the space has only really blossomed in the last five-ish years and so you have games like iron sword and thousand year old vampire which are doing really exciting things with the mechanics involved but a lot of those are story prompt games and that can be great for some people and other people are like i i don't know what to do with that because it'll give you a prompt like oh no you're betrayed by your closest ally and i'll be and I, i'll be playing and i'll be like oh, i don't know my cat is my cat my closest ally i don't know i don't know i don't know what to do next so in approaching solo martial blues i was trying to make it a little bit less story prompt a little bit more guided so that everything that happens within it is brief enough and springboards into action springboards into the action of the person playing it so that the game is kind of like a dialogue between the 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 text as it is represented and the the player that's playing so the real juicy stuff kind of happens in your own head so to speak okay. the text calls upon you to reflect on this and reflect on that that's happening as it goes along so just like my enjoyment of of Lionheart or <laughs> my enjoyment of Street Fighter from 1994 a lot of it is what you're bringing to it and how you're thinking about it and how amused or, or enjoy enjoyable it is for you uh so that was the design challenge with solo martial blues okay i think we got it i think we nailed it see it started as a kickstarter goal for uh or a stretch goal from the kickstarter that was left over from uh, fight to survive i promised fight to survive a kind of 50 page solo update to the rules instead i way over delivered and delivered a 124 page entirely standalone game so this is me crowdfunding that 124 pages to expand it into about 200 to make it even just more stuff it's already complete it's already written it's just let's make it more and then we've got great art by steven Yu, uh and steven Wu, sorry and he's uh he, he did stuff in fight to survive and he's doing stuff here now and uh we couldn't be more excited that's that's really cool. Um, what I like about everything that you're doing right now is first it's street level stuff, it's solo player, which like this is new to me because I'm a D and D guy. I'm a you know you, you have usually I'm playing with a group of people like three or four or even more. So to have a solo adventure like that, that's that's pretty amazing. I didn't even know this was a thing. So it's opened my eyes to that. So it I'm is a thing. Throw money at you. I mean, to, to, me, <laughs> Nick, to me, the most important part of role-playing games is the social connection of having people around the table and playing off each other. Right. But lots of people for lots of reasons would like to play alone and, or maybe it's accessibility or maybe they just don't have the schedules lined oh, up or maybe, maybe get, they just want to the game together is a pain right. in the ass. Exactly. The, the, the biggest enemy of a role-playing game is scheduling, right? Right. So like you can sit down, you can sit down with a solo role-playing game and you can play, play it for yourself. The challenge though, is to design it around self-discipline because the right. game stops as soon as you close it. Right. So how do you yes. make it? so that it's engaging enough and interesting enough that you don't want to put it down. And I know that sounds a little bit juvenile, but like, how do you do that without writing a novel? Cause you don't want to write a novel. Then it's, then it's a novel. Then you're reading a novel and I don't want to write a novel. I don't want to present I want to play a game. You want to play a game. Exactly. That's what you came for. So you've got to make it a game that you're interacting with it so much that you 
want to keep going. And uh, so that's been the challenge with Solo Marshall Blues. And uh, it's uh, I I like it because I finally get to play the game. <laughs> I, I run games of Fight to Survive, but here it's with Solo Marshall Blues, I actually get to play. Uh, well, and it's, there, it's been a wild ride. It, it, it sounds like you've written it where you could do things like, I'm a huge Daredevil fan. I'm a comic book fan. Like, I could play this game and not, in, you know, cross any boundaries with um, some intellectual properties. I can pretend that I'm Daredevil, right? <laughs> I mean, the path that you're set on in terms of a story is a little bit more restrictive than just pretending that you're Daredevil. But uh, I, lo I also love Daredevil. I love what it kind of accidentally fell into, which is Ninjas on Rooftops. Uh, yes. And huge, that huge fan. <laughs> and everything that uh that Ninja Turtles did as a spoof on Daredevil, they kind of continued and extended that genre of street level superheroes. You're absolutely right. Yeah. And this yeah. is this is not street level superheroes, uh, but it is it, it's a little bit sh more shrunken than that. It's kind of like the hyper reality that exists in a um a video game like Final Fight. Oh, I love Final Fight. Final Fight. You know? Double Dragon is. Do we just yeah, say Double, Double Dragon, Dragon exactly. into that? Absolutely. So what would the what would the age range be for this game? Like for your player, for your ideal audience. Oh, you know, I never even thought about that. Anybody, anybody who is willing to pick up a pencil and uh, uh, sit down and focus on these things, because like old fighting fantasy single player games in the eighties were marketed to kids. I mean, it said like eight plus, I think, on the back of those. And yeah, that's usually that's theoretically possible. There's nothing in the game that's too violent or too sexy or too uh, whatever else. I'm not even sure if I curse in it. Um, I think I might say damn or something at some point. Oh, no, but, not uh, damn. <laughs> I, I don't I'm know if that's still considered a curse word. If, if uh, Patrick Stewart can say damn on Star Trek The Next Generation, I'm not sure if it still gets to be a curse word anymore. Uh, oh, my. But... Uh, yeah, it can it can work. Anybody who has an interest in the genre, I'm not. I, I express my love for things like Bloodsport and '80s and uh, '90s action movies, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. It is not necessary that you are steeped in those references in order to understand this. Um, it, the The structure of it is that you're just a lonely fighter. You come into town. You've got various reasons to come into town, and you're going to get embroiled in a Yojimbo-like fashion into all of the uh, politics and violence of what's going on in the crummy little area of New Hope City where you've set up shop. And uh, you can let the whole thing follow you along. Um, if you ever watched Streets of Fire, the 1984 film uh, with Willem Dafoe, you know, a, a lot of inspiration is taken from that, the rock and roll fable. Um, it's a great so movie. Cool. It's a great yeah, it is. movie, but it's a great so, movie. <laughs> what made you decide to take this one to crowdfunder instead of Kickstarter again? Well, there's a few reasons, JR. Uh, one of them is that I, I, you know, no discredit to Kickstarter. I'm going back to Kickstarter for other things. Um, I think the industry on in, in general would benefit from Kickstarter having a little bit more competition uh, because it's the 500 pound gorilla in the room. Uh, and you know, I, again, I will be back to Kickstarter, but uh, we've got backer kit that's coming up from behind, so to speak, that's in a much better position than it was a year ago. Uh, game found, you know, not so hot, but it's still it's still trying. And uh, some other platforms, uh, Crowdfunder was very nice. 
so I decided to partner with them for their uh, tabletop non-stop event, which is happening throughout the month of February. So this game, Solo Marshall Blues, is part of tabletop non-stop. Part of that is they're doing a bunch of promotion for it. And uh, part of it is, is that they're a little bit friendlier for me uh, in terms of accounting because of, for being Canadian. So, okay. Yeah. Uh, which, which is handy. We'll see. The problem is Kickstarter still is the place with all the eyes. So people who are just casually browsing for a game are going to come upon it upon Kickstarter. Nobody is going to casually browse through Crowdfunder yet. Maybe five years from now, three years from now, whatever. Yeah, if you but, have the time. Yeah, but right now, anybody who's looking for solo Marshall Blues is just going to have to go to Crowdfunder and find it, which is, uh, you know, it, as a publisher, not the best for the campaign, but if we can help to grow the platform, then hooray. Oh, and okay. also it's slightly cheaper for me, <laughs> Crowdfunder, because it doesn't take a cut. Uh, instead they like Kickstarter takes, um, 7% or 8%. And then it also takes another 7% from Stripe or PayPal when it processes the fees. Uh, crowdfunder doesn't take anything. Instead, they just offer a tip jar, uh, for when people are offering, where are, um, donating, and then they can put a, a, a dollar or two or whatever, what they like into the pot for crowdfunder. And I said to them, Oh, does that actually like break even like is that do people do people tip that much and they said actually we make more money when people do that than than taking a percentage and i'm like well damn let's believe in people <laughs> let's yeah we nick and i both used the game found because we did was it asheron the uh the space game yeah which i them. won't get for another year and a half months and i can't wait to play it so i can beat your ass on air we we <laughs> did have a bet going but that that was the game where we we didn't take into account because we both kept, oh, this new thing, let's back it. And <laughs> like up, upping our pledge. And then the they don't close the the foreign conversion because it's not an American company that was doing it. And yeah. for whatever luck, the the dollar to whatever that was tanked that day. So we ended up paying a lot more than we thought we would. Like, oh, I spent so much damn money on the extras. It was I got, so awesome. I, got, um, I mean, I'm not mad about it. I'm no, me either. Because I got some really cool ships. It was like, JR, stop telling me about this stuff. Yeah, stabby, stabby. So, so speaking of, of upgrades, what kind of, like normally, like a crowdfunding will be like stretch type goals. What do you have for this one for Marshall Blues as stretch goals? Well, first of all, Solo Marshall Blues is in American dollars because awesome. two thirds of my backers from Fight to Survive were in the United States. And then a reasonable chunk of them were from Great Britain. Uh, and only a minority of them were from Canada and then other European countries. Uh, so I decided to go ahead with solo Marshall blues and us dollar. And so that's that for, I mean, let's talk about what stretch goals are JR. So often, like this is like the fourth crowdfunding event I've, I've led so often, uh, a project can get stuck in its stretch goals. As a publisher, I, I don't want to take any risks. I want this thing to be done before I even bring it to crowdfunding. And Solo Marshall Blues is done. I'm bringing, presenting a, a done thing. Uh, is it great to be using this as a pre-order model? Well, I mean, it's the way crowdfunding has gone, certainly. And it's not something that I always want to be the case. But in this case, like, I don't want to be asking the questions of what am I doing after the thing funds? So let's finish it, put it up. In terms of stretch goals... Each of the stretch goals for this project are just adding more content. 
to the book. So people get to choose how big this book is going to end up. So I don't spend, you know, ages and ages trying to fulfill this thing and it can get out the door fairly immediately. Like it's always better to under promise and overperform. So that's the, uh, the structure I'm going with here. So right now there's three years of content because you move through the years as you play. And I've got, uh, two more years written and ready to get laid out and to do. And if the campaign meets its goal, that's what it'll be. But if it gets higher and higher and higher and higher, I'm adding more and more and more years. And then I've got 10 years of content planned out so that you actually move your character through a whole decade and we'll see if we get there. Um, so yeah. there's possible, cause I, I can look at the metrics behind the scene. We had you here for your Kickstarter last year for fight to survive. And we still get periodic episodes that people are watching it now. So we asked you this then, and I'm going to ask you again, when this campaign is over, if people just happen to find this episode six months from now and they're like, man, that sounds cool. I missed the Kickstarter. Are you going to move it for sale anywhere else after the Kickstarter or crowdfunder? Absolutely. You can go to the Radio James Games website and it will be able to direct you to wherever it's being put up. Uh, it's going to be put up the same places where I put up Fight to Survive, which is uh, Drive Through RPG. It's going to be available both as a PDF and print on demand. It's going to be up on itch.io. I love drive through. It's going to be through itch.io. And it's uh, also going to likely it'll be distributed through Indie Press Revolution, which Fight to Survive is distributed through now, and through the Canadian distributor Composed Dream Games, um, who sometimes tours Europe and Australia as well, doing convention support and selling the book. And also the Indie Game Developer Network will be carrying a copy as well, touring the conventions in the United States, like the, the bigger ones, Origins, Gen Con, um, Fan Expo, things like that. So Nick was just it, telling go, me, oh, sorry. Will this be available for sale on places like Barnes and Noble and in traditional book markets, uh, Amazon, that kind of stuff? As a district, I picked um, Indie Press Revolution as the main distributor of this. And okay. retailers can purchase through Indie Press Revolution. So, uh, for instance, my local FLGS stocks the book through IPR, through Indie Press Revolution. I sometimes get emails from strange places like Spain and Greece and whatever else being like, I just bought your book in my local store. Can you send me the PDF? And I'll be like, yes, bits and mortar. Here you go. Um, so as a retail distributor, IPR is the one that I've is, is okay. the, pretty much the best one to go with for things like this, I think. Okay. So are you going to be having like downloadable, if someone buys a physical copy where they can download like the character sheets so that way they can constantly print those? Because, you know, as you play your character, that kind of stuff changes constantly. I mean, you go through dozens of those sheets sometimes in one setting as you erase and update. And... Oh, I mean, you can, you have, it's hard to restrain myself giving out downloadable content because you can always add on to things and add on to things and little reference sheets and character sheets and whatever else. So absolutely. And in fact, if anybody buys the physical copy, I'll give them the PDF. Like you, you got to have these things across multiple platforms in order to, to play them. People are playing things in very different ways. Like I have this fantastic 10 inch tablet that I've been going through, like reading all kinds of tabletop role playing game books on. And that's uh, sometimes how people interpret media these days. And that's wonderful. So yeah, I'll have, I'll have downloads, man. I'm not sure exactly the best way to 
host those downloads right now. Like right now, if you go to drive through RPG and click on fight to survive and you buy it, it comes, you get the PDF, you get the character sheets, uh, a black and white character sheet, a color character sheet, and a black and white and color character sheet that's form fi form fillable and a booklet of stock characters and et cetera, et cetera. You just keep adding on. Um, but uh, I want to make them, a, I, should, I should just put them up on my website as well as resources that people can download, like a resources tab. So it's probably going to end up there as well. Okay. Okay, that sounds fun. Um, how much um have you had to test this because i mean you said you don't get to play the other game as much because you're game mastering i guess well i'm, I'm running it yeah <laughs> so what, what do you okay. call your person running the other one is it game master is it yeah master? it's game master and it's game master because i didn't i didn't uh uh, I mean, it's already a pretty weird game. I didn't want to like also say, oh, the game master's called a referee. <laughs> like, uh, I guess I could have, but uh, but it was fine. They're, they're still game mastering. How was Solo Marshall Blues tested? It was yes. uh, generously tested by the Kickstarter backers from Fight to Survive. The bunch nice. of people put up their hand because the one question I kept getting with Fight to Survive is, oh, that's great. Awesome. I don't have any friends. Where's the solo? <laughs> And uh, I love the idea, but nobody, I can't, I can't find anybody to play with. Or, uh, I mean, let's be perfectly clear. This is a weirdo niche indie game. It's sometimes more difficult to drum up a group to play something like gritty martial arts than it is to play uh, Dungeons and Dragons, right? So some people are just, lost. all right, yeah, their loss, but still like we bend to the, as a willow in the wind, like these things are, are these things. So people really were eager for a solo game. So I said, okay, fine. If you're so eager for a solo game, you can be on the playtesting group. And uh, so threw together a, a big playtesting group, got a bunch of feedback. It was all very encouraging. Like, this is traumatizing. I am upset. Uh, why did you do this to me? Things like that. And I was like, okay, good, 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 good progress. And uh, so it's been playtested for about six months. And uh, not by not just me, it's really important. Some people say playtesting isn't important. I think it's super important because half the things that I think make sense in my brain may not make sense, you know, getting out into the world. Uh, so it's been playtested that way. And it's, it's nice and polished uh, at this point. Yeah. So when I first got into gaming, I noticed, especially in the indie side of the game, tabletop games, a lot of them were written with the presumption presumption that the person reading the game knew the basics of tabletop role-playing games. So it's it started like you already had to be in the know, which made it very inaccessible for someone who had no clue what they were doing, right? So do you feel like your game, based on your experience, both playing games and designing games, is very friendly for noobs? No. I'm sorry, JR. It is a it is a diceless game with move comparison, and uh, it makes perfect sense in and of you know maybe because half of what I do at the table when I'm running it in conventions and things, and I'm going to be a breakout in a month from now in Toronto, which is the biggest convention in Canada, running this game. Um, half of what I have to do when I'm teaching the game to people, and they always get it by the end of the session. It always makes sense by the end of the session. Um, but half of it is kind of unworking all the lessons they have in their brains about Dungeons and Dragons. Because Dungeons and Dragons, you get into a mentality of what do you do in a turn? What is a segment of time? Oh, well, you move and you do a big action and then maybe you do a little action. And I'm like, well, lots of other games think about time differently. And they think about what you're allowed to do within that space differently. And I've seen other games completely break people 
who are too accustomed to Dungeons and Dragons, and I don't mean to to you know get on the case of Dungeons and Dragons. I play it, I run it. Um, but I've seen people have a hard time adjusting to what do you mean? I only get one tur- uh, action a turn. What, did, what what do you mean? <laughs> so with things like solo martial blues or things like fight to survive, the segment of time is very different. And the way that you interpret your behavior is very different. So in some ways it might be easier for somebody coming to it completely fresh and being like, this is your first role-playing game because you don't have those preconceived notions about how you divide your time and your behavior and your lens for interacting with the world. Everything you need is laid out in the book. If, if somebody discovered this in the desert in a Ziploc bag and was like, oh, gee, I'm stuck in the desert. I guess if you were stuck in the desert, you'd be doing a lot of walking. But let's say you're on desert island, <laughs> desert island, and you're marooned there, and uh, you open this up, you could play it completely and fully. Um, it doesn't take a it doesn't devote a particular length of time to this is a role playing game, but um, it's it's kind of conceptually it's kind of out there in terms in the indie scene. So I don't know if it would be somebody's best first role playing game, but if it's yours, if dear listener, if somebody's listening to this and it's your first game, let me know how it went. Because I'm always shocked and surprised when people talk to me about how they've got a weekly game going. And I'm like, what, really? Okay, all right. And then they start talking with me about the rules and engaging about concepts, uh, like a throwaway line that I put in some, I don't know, photo caption. And they're like, so whatever happened to that? And I'm like, oh, oh yeah, that was a thing. Uh, So you never know how much people are going to connect with the material and how much uh, they're going to run with it. I think you can really connect and run with it in this case. And I think that solo Marshall blues is going to be something very special. Well, I just backed it. So I'll let you know when I get it. <laughs> well, we own a uh, fight to survive too. I ne- never got a chance to play it. it I just packed it. <laughs> we just packed it for the move and it's still wrapped up. Oh. But, uh, We're going to pause right now because you're, uh, we're listing you as the sponsor, so that way people can dive into this um, this product. Um, Forty six fourteen. But with that being said, Nick, what do you think about the art? Because I noticed you, you like to get nerdy about the art. Do you approve of this kind of style? Go back to the last one. Yeah, I I dig that art because it takes me back to when I was a kid playing Double Dragon or I was playing Ninja Ninja Gaiden. You know, you you got the right tropes going on that just reflect nostalgia of that time period. Uh, so you got the ninja with the Kabuki mask, which is probably not the right name, but someone's going to correct me on the internet because that's what the internet's for. Um, but listening to how he talks about the gameplay and how it, how the mechanics work, I was like, Oh, I don't have to have two three to four friends to play this. I can play it anytime I want. So that with the artwork, the artwork is amazing because it's everything that I want in a street fighting type of game. You know, I want the cityscape. I want the moon. I want some sort of scary, scary boss, you know, Um, even the logo type, you know, the typography of it, typography, not topography. So please don't correct me on that internet. Uh, The typography of it typography of it. it it all fits and it hits everything personally to me of something i want to buy 
So I get to do this single plane role playing game, which up until I, I was today's today years old when I figured out that was a thing. Cause I didn't <laughs> know that was a thing before. I thought I needed like three or four friends and you know, like Dungeons and Dragons or any of those other types of games, but the artwork's amazing. I think it's whoever did the art did a really amazing job. Everything's well balanced. It's well colored and toned uh, for the subject matter. And I, you know, it, it, I mean, like I said, I backed it. <laughs> so I gave $75 of my hard earned money uh, to make this thing happen because I, I believe in this project and I want to play it. The art that you're looking at right now is the, new cover as of um, a week ago or so the previous art that you had up was the art that was commissioned for um, the Kickstarter backers from the previous game. And that was just, that was a, a, a kind of a, we didn't have a long time to run at that one. I just wanted something splashy that, that could go out. So that was the cover for the uh, Kickstarter backers solo version, the substantially expanded one that's being crowdfunded. Uh, where I'm hoping to put in as much new art as possible is the darker cover with the bright red solo. Uh, not everybody was as fond of my Chrome letters, but uh, uh, to, the to be honest, it makes me want to generate some fan art. Oh, absolutely. Well, and I think I also sent you the cover, the book cover itself. Well, that's one of the black and white interiors. Uh, is like treating it like a, a first person perspective as he's walking. Forward, yeah, or as you're walking forward. It was really uh, important to me. First person puncher. Yeah. Because it's not a shooter. It was important to me that the main character is not defined in any of the art because the main character could be anyone. You could be a, um, I don't know, a, a big hulking wrestling woman with a giant ponytail, or you could be a, 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 a tiny little fellow in a leather jacket, or you could be a, however you want to bring yourself into the game there's ways to mechanically reinforce what you decide to look like and how you want to approach that. So it was really important to keep the, the protagonist character off the art and out of descriptions. So yeah, that it could be anybody, right? Yep. So you could reapproach it in completely different ways. If you the want. guy on the right, um, definitely giving me vibes of the, one of the antagonists from the karate kid movie, like the guy from the Cobra Kai. Oh, that's Johnny, the, man. Yeah. Kind of like a dirty Johnny going on there. Yeah. 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 He just needs the headband. <laughs> you talked about there's, there's the actual book cover right there. So he's dangling a glowing medallion and there's two people facing off. There's flames around a city. There's a biker gang going by. Uh, and uh, I was very inspired by, I don't know how you mentioned double dragon earlier. Double dragon two had the most amazing cover. And I remember yeah. it very clearly from comic book advertisements. It was two guys trying to fight their way up a, like a kind of a stairwell and holding yeah. on to the girl that they were rescuing and a bunch of thugs trying to come up after them. And it, in a way it was better than the game. Like double dragon two is a great game, but it, the, that art was phenomenal and it endlessly inspired me. And I'm very, very inspired by a lot of the cover art and posters from those eighties martial arts movies that we mentioned like uh, Chuck Norris's Octagon, for instance, had fantastic posters, both the general release poster and the like uh, pre-release poster that was just Richard Norton as a, uh, in a mask outfit, like bursting out of some paper for some reason. Uh, I also love that poster a lot. So I wanted to capture, 
I, it, the game is not eighties, but my heart is. So I wanted to capture a, uh, what would look good in terms of that genre of displaying the emotion and the action of what's going on because movie posters now are just, I don't want to be old man yells at clouds, but a lot of movie posters now are just all the actors on the poster. Yell at them, the yell actors. at the clouds. And that that's my cloud yelling rant. I miss when movie posters tried to convey a message about what the film means. And so well, similarly, I mean, we, the game is trying to communicate what it means. No, you're absolutely right. Cause we talked about this uh, before we started about Ninja three, <laughs> Ninja three, the, the domination. Movie, yes. The domination. It was a, it was a movie poster that was in my room until I was like, 17 18 years old and it belongs there it's an amazing poster like it, it's, yeah, it's, it's right next to my megadeth rest in you know rest in peace poster it, so, it's got like, an unusual color palette like it's got a lot of action going on there's a helicopter on it like it's it's a it's an amazing one it, it it's one of those favorite like nostalgia movies that i like like i can't find anything to watch on any of the streaming services i'm like hmm where's ninja 3 being played right now excuse me and uh enter the ninja and ninja 2 the revenge are not a slouch either right is it called ninja no no, it goes hard revenge of the ninja yeah that that whole all those movies they they go super hard and you're like you know a little white kid from suburbia and you know middle of america like i was i was like man these are the coolest movies ever made you know that was like my version of the avengers before the avengers got made yeah, well, Shokatsuki was a very talented man, or I think he still is a very talented man. Uh, and I think that Black Eagle doesn't nearly get enough respect, right? It was, I, I think you're right. Yeah, Black Eagle's top notch. I mean, people make fun of it now. I loved it. I thought it was great. Jean-Claude Van Damme was a wonderful, menacing villain. Shokatsuki was a great uh, hero in that movie, and and I've watched it a dozen times. Oh, um, same. Yeah. I feel so, like I feel like we can be friends, Nick. <laughs> we're, yeah, like we're gonna be best <laughs> friends. Watch movies my, my new Canadian ambassador. It's gonna be awesome. So back to the game. Like, is this gonna be paperback only? I mean, obviously you're gonna have digital copies, or are you gonna have hardback versions? Oh, definitely. There's there's the Kickstarter is for release of a print on demand code, so you can print off uh, a copy of the book in. Uh, it's it's intended to be soft cover. I wasn't intending to make a hardcover. Uh, I might just in case, because it's not much more work on my side, right? I just have to do another cover file uh, for it. So it'll be out in softcover and in hardcover. I want to try and keep it slim enough so that it's nice and conveniently sized. Fight to Survive was a bit big, right? It was 336 pages or something. Um, but let's keep this one nice and small so that people can actually carry it around. And I'd like to imagine it going to coffee shops or something so people can just sit there and play the game as they're having a coffee or, or something. Uh, so I want to keep it light and portable if that's the case. Well, if you're going to a coffee shop, you know, spills happen. You might want to buy two or three just in case. <laughs> well, then it's, even, then it's even better it. because you know, you've literally fought your way through the text, right? You're like, Oh yeah, that's, that's a, I, I, I fought that guy who was trying to mug me and there's the bits of cappuccino. He spills all over the. <laughs> <laughs> so you said the art was by Steven Wu. Yeah. Uh, was he the artist from the first fight to survive game or how did you get in touch with him? He did much of the art in, he did about a quarter of the art in fight to survive. Uh, and some of the best pieces, certainly uh, I know I, I will say that about all the artists in fight to survive because I loved everything they did, 
but uh, Stephen Wu did a number of the pieces, and uh, and he's also uh, you may know him also. He did the indie darling uh, Jinkashi Blood at the Banquet Hall that was distributed by Wedding Games about a family of Chinese restaurant owners fighting hopping vampires. Wonderful game, fantastic game. He did a lot of the interior art for that. His other credits are just too numerous to mention. Like I can stand here all day uh, listing the cool stuff he's done. But uh, yeah, he's a very accomplished artist. We're incredibly lucky that he decided to come on to this and to continue doing stuff in, in this vein. So I've got him, I've got an editor because you know everybody needs an editor and, uh, and a sensitivity reader because we're juggling topics here we're juggling sensitive topics things like economic oppression and uh fighting your way up from the streets you know there's there's necessarily a lot of classism going on in that structure and we're balancing a lot of different cultural backgrounds so we've got a sensitivity reader and we've got uh me i guess when i'm doing writing and development and layout and, and everything else okay um that sounds Interesting. Was that something that became an issue with the sensitivity reader? I don't know anyone who's actually used one before. Well, here's the thing, you know, uh, JR, I'm, uh, however well read, I think I am. <laughs> I I'm still putting my foot in my mouth all the time and I don't want to do that in print. So for a couple hundred bucks, uh, it's worth having someone else look it over and make suggestions and say, are you aware that what you're saying here has these implications and I'll go, Oh God, no, I didn't, I didn't want to say that. Like I just, I'm just, uh, working from my own limited perspective. So a sensitivity reader is really important to try and expand that perspective and, uh, and give input on how things might be otherwise read because that's not what an editor is doing. An editor is working from uh, kind of top content and saying, oh, you know, not just proofing, but like saying, oh, is this section really needed because you've got the same stuff over here or, or you didn't really explain this well enough or things like that. So they're thinking kind of at the higher view and at a, at a finer view, whereas a sensitivity reader will say, well, sometimes a sensitive reader is just bringing up conversations like, well, what does it mean to have a ninja now? What does that mean? Uh, is that something we're prepared for? Does it mean what it used to mean? Um, are, are we treating it with enough respect? You know, cause me, when I think of ninjas, I think of, uh, and I, I don't know if you've gone down this rabbit hole, Nick, but I think of the Kage no Gundan, like, uh, Sonny Chiba, um, eighties mm -hmm. action TV shows, which I love. Yeah. And then we, incredibly, and we got right? went from that to Michael Dudikoff with American Ninja. Yeah. These um, are very different worlds. Which right? also plays into GI Joe with snake eyes and storm shadow. And I love G.I. Joe. And Larry Hama is an amazing writer for those G.I. Joe I, I would like to think that I was the amateur ninja historian in the 1980s <laughs> at, you know, at a very young age because um, I love the lore. You know, I, I love the imagery. I loved what they, I mean, they were assassins. I guess I can't say I loved what they represented because that made me seem like a dick. <laughs> but but, but still, they I did have cool iconography. And they had cool lore. Well, and and there's a lot of cool stuff about ninjas that are just things that have come up over cultural exchange. A lot of martial arts in history has developed over cultural exchange, both right. in, in great ways and in sometimes in not so great ways. Like Kung Fu, for instance, is not a word 
that is used in Chinese. It's not a, it's not a word in Mandarin or in Cantonese. It's an invention of uh, the United States of of people Westerners who right. heard the term Gong Fu as Gong Fu is, was, was one word and adapted it because what uh, American military men who were coming back from the war, what they knew was karate with a hard K. So that became Kung Fu. So can you, can you say that the term Kung Fu is inappropriate? Well, it's, it's more complicated than that because this whole structure involves a tremendous amount of cultural exchange that's happening across the entire world. And martial arts are in many ways a human invention, but it's still worth stopping having those conversations and, and going checking our intentions and making sure that we're representing things in, in a fair way. Like in Fight to Survive, I gave a whole paragraph to what do we mean when we say Kung Fu? Well, right. It kind of isn't even a term because like it kind of doesn't exist because really it's saying all it's a reference to all Chinese martial arts that have nothing to do with each other in some cases. And there are thousands of them. So um, so, so if you're going to say somebody studies Kung Fu, that's an empty glass. What does that mean? mean I I always equate it to um, like Germany having a brewery in every town. Well, you go to China, every village town had its own style of martial arts that they called different things. Yeah. And some of them came together and some of them split apart and some of them people migrated. So now you've got um, like a lot of what we think of as Chinese food was came out of San Francisco, right? Or New York. Exactly. Like New York inventing the pizza. So we're in the middle of huge tides of cultural exchange and change and people bringing new things into their lives. Like the Russians didn't have vodka until the potato came from the new world. And it's a part of, of heritage now. Um, Yeah. So we're all involved in these tides of history. And I think that in martial arts, especially is a subject that people can get sensitive about uh, in terms of, of cultural authenticity. So it's important to uh, approach the whole structure with sensitivity and to make sure that you're presenting something honestly and cleanly and that it meets your intentions. So that's a very long answer (laughs) to say, I think a sensitivity reader was probably wise in this case. Fair. Um, So I know the closest I came is I've written Australians and I was told I needed an insensitivity reader because I made them too nice and they didn't cuss enough. (laughs) Uh, But if I cussed in an American audience, Amazon would like censor it as adult content if I spoke how they speak on a regular basis, because some of their cultural norms cussing wise would be here considered, oh my goodness, stars and gardeners. Um, but So that did get me thinking your answer about the sensitivity reader is those discussions. And for someone who's a nerd of the all things like martial arts movies and karate and, and all the other forms of martial arts, like you and Nick were going on in the pre-show and during the show, there's not as many spaces where those people sit around and get nerdy because, you know, they're just there. Not that I've seen. So did you build like, I don't know, is there a discord server for your fighting games where people get together and can talk to build community around the fighting space that you've created? Like most small publishers, I have a discord that is ill attended. Uh, so there is a radio James games discord with all of, I think 50 people on it, uh, which I mostly use for announcements and things and any discussions people want to have. I am, I am happy to not do my work and instead discuss things like this. <laughs> That's a so, great so time. The answer is yes. And if, uh, if you want to have that conversation, the link to his discord will be in the show notes. 
Because that sounds yeah, like yeah. the kind of things the people that would be willing to back this would be interested in talking about. One of the things I love about Fight to Survive and about this game, Solo Martial Blues, is it brings out all of the martial arts nerds that also have an interest in tabletop role-playing games. And there's a lot of us. Like I'm, I studied different forms of Kung Fu for years. I'm in a regular judo class right now. I, I took karate when I was a kid. Like I've almost always been involved in some structure of martial arts or another. And it's, people can get pretty deep down the rabbit hole of talking about their martial art. Uh, but they don't tend to talk across martial arts very often. So this has been a wonderful opportunity to talk to the karate nerds and to talk to the, you know, different Kung Fu nerds. And uh, I'm using nerds in a celebratory, as a celebratory Absolutely. word, right? like people who it's are. It's not a pejorative. You know. It's, it's celebratory. It's, yeah. it's a term of endearment. Exactly. It's like I, as a self-identified <laughs> a nerd in, in both martial arts and uh, tabletop role-playing games, it's great to see people like-minded people coming together to talk about things from their perspective. That's how we ended up with, there's over 50 martial arts in fight to survive. Um, and some very, some, some quite obscure ones too, like 52 blocks, for instance, I don't think has it been in any other, uh, martial arts game that I can think of. Uh, and I, I don't know, I, I had to restrain myself and cut about 10 styles of Kung Fu out of the game just because the chart would have just kept going forever. Didn't, and, didn't that one have Jeet Kune Do in it? Yeah, it has Jeet Kune Do in it, which isn't even a martial There's, art, but you know, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> it's, I remember I chose that because it's the only one that I could recognize that I knew anything a little bit about. I wouldn't say I knew about it, but like I knew enough about it because Bruce Lee fan, obviously. Um, well, I was trying, like, again, we're talking about trying to balance. I want people to be able to come to this who, I want people to celebrate who are martial arts geeks. And I want people to come to it who don't know anything about it. So in Fight to Survive, you got five basic martial arts you could choose from. Kung Fu, kickboxing, karate, wrestling, and boxing, right? And, you know, as we discussed, two or three of those aren't even kind of martial arts, right? The, the, right. the, the whole structure is complicated. But you can pick one of those five. Or you can go to this list here of like 50 something and then break down all these different styles of karate that have nothing to do with each other and never met. Uh, or, or all of these, if you really, really want to know the difference between like uh, uh, white eyebrows, Kung Fu and uh, white crane Kung Fu, then, then oh, oh, Tibetan white crane, then away we can go. Um, so you can go in as far as you can. With solo martial blues, the whole thing had to be substantially simplified because it's not as open. You don't have a GM that's trying to lead you right. through it. So instead you're, you're your own GM. Right? Yes. So instead we're just focusing on a handful of martial arts that you can, uh, that you can pick between and kind of weave through as you're picking your teachers through the text and following along on the teacher's story, because something that happens, I don't mean to go on and on. No, no. One thing that happens with martial arts. Dude, before I started talking to you, I didn't know how big of a martial arts geek I was. <laughs> I'm awakening things in you, Nick. Uh, yeah. Like, it's all, I wouldn't say triggering because it has a negative connotation to it, but I was like, it, it awakened it's a bunch of, yeah. yeah, activating a lot of, a lot of memories in my fandom. And I just didn't have the words to express it, which is awesome. That's why I backed your game. Uh, Cause I want to, I'm going to play the shit out of it. Man. Well, I hope I'm doing that for other people too. Um, because for instance, people, when you're studying martial arts, you have a very interesting relationship with your teacher. Right. Yeah. And, and like somebody mentioned, uh, BJJ earlier, right. 
like the whole, especially I find with BJJ clubs, like the upper students and the, the BJJ teacher always get really close. Right. And uh, it, it's Julio Gracie choked me out with my own arm, which oh made God. me fall in love with the, with the fighting style, you know? So, so, well, all of what solo martial blues does is you're not just learning a martial art from this teacher. You're developing a relationship with this teacher and that could be going deep or that could be very shallow. And the kind of people who enter into martial arts on high levels, you've got to have a reason to be studying that much. And I've met some wonderful, interesting, passionate, like pure of heart people who are, are, are keen martial artists, but the scene is also filled with people who are a little weird, uh, people who are kind of delusional, like your Frank Dukes types, uh, yeah. and people who, um, you just like don't know how they dudes, got there. Right? Yeah. Like, <laughs> so I wanted to play with how you've got different personalities and different influences and different characters that are already populating this martial arts scene. Let's bring them in to a narrative so that you can interact with them as a protagonist. So for instance, one of the teachers that you get in solo martial blues, he's a karate instructor, but he's a little violent and you're not sure if you want to go down that rabbit hole. I mean, right. Or maybe you're not sure if you want to go down that rabbit hole. That's left up to you in the text because it's all about hard choices. Do you want to keep learning karate from this guy who's a little extreme or is that good? Or are you okay with that? Is that where you want to go? Or do you want to, do you want to back off? Do you think that you'd do better training on your own? And would, so would you say that it's based on like your acceptance of aggression levels? Your acceptance of that, you know, that is a, a huge topic, Nick, your acceptance of aggression levels, because how much of an edge do you have as a person? Like right. for instance, myself, I never had, I, I could always recognize that I had the skill in fighting, but I never had that killer instinct. I never had that like finishing <laughs> idea. And some people do, some people will go right for your jugular. Right. And, and right. more power to them. Uh, and no, I it, get that. That's, that's how I was trained. Cause I was uh, raised in the Ranger regiment as a young adult male. You know, and all we studied was, BJJ and Krav Maga, that very aggressive fighting styles. It's to finish the fights, to remove your threat. You know, absolutely. And Krav, Krav Maga is a good example. If if you're executing it properly, then you're breaking bones. Then you're you're severing. Right. You know, like I, I dislocated my company commander's um, elbow in a, in a sparring match on a, what we called Motivation Mondays in in the little Quonson hut. We take had that motivation. <laughs> you know, and he's like who's the best fighter and my squad mates. I didn't think I was the best fighter. I'm, I'm, I'm very humble about this. I'm like, oh, I was a mediocre fighter at best. I don't, I'm an, I'm an artist by trade, you know? So hurting another human being was something outside of my wheelhouse until I joined the military. I was trained to be that person, you know, really, I didn't want to lose. Mm -hmm. And that's how that happened. We, we rumbled, we, we did the techniques that we were trained and I found in a position, a position where I could finish the fight and I could finish it early. Mm -hmm. And instead of taking a tactical, you know, a little tactical pause going, maybe I shouldn't break the captain's arm. You know, I broke the captain's arm, 
you know. So that does get so. me thinking. When when Nick and I entered the army in the nineties, uh, the Jesus way we Christ, were, I'm old. <laughs> yeah, the way we were taught at basic training was the good old fashioned army chop, which was basically like they're teaching you to do some crappy John Wayne like movie kung fu whatever from and they always told us it was enough to they were only teaching you enough to get your ass kicked in a bar fight right but so eventually the military realized hey this is useless i mean it's great to get aggression out in a training field where you beat the crap out of each other on a and you know you don't like a guy in your basic training bay like this dude's a loser let me pair up mm -hmm. against him so i can beat his ass in training having said that the army quickly realized that's not useful in an actual fight where we might actually want our soldiers not to die. Right. And so we then developed the, Navy, the MACP. The Marine Corps developed one way. The Army developed another. They tried a lot of methods. They ended up with some something of a hodgepodge of a lot of styles. Does your game, because you know that's what happens when various styles come in contact with each other, does your game allow for that where you can mix and match the styles? Or Absolutely. Absolutely. Because, you know... The way that somebody who's not a martial artist would approach a martial arts game would be to say that you have one teacher and you stick with that one teacher forever. And that is just not how most martial artists work. No, you tend like, to go in and I out of five, I guess, masters or senseis. Yeah, like you move or you get married and have to like do other things or you're, you're, you just change in terms of your, like, for instance, I'm in judo right now because I really like how you can go all out in judo. And if you're doing it right, the crash mat will absorb the pressure. Whereas a lot of other martial arts like Krav Maga, for instance, you can't ever go all out. Like unless you're in a, a serious yeah. combat circumstance, yeah, you're, very you limited. you're very limited on your execution. Even something like uh, Wing Chun, for instance, I've known some people who've gotten some horrible injuries from Wing Chun because they just, they flinched at the wrong time and they didn't get connected on the, the way the pushing hands was going and ended up with a split eye. Um, but with judo, you can really push yourself hard for, uh, and it still gets to be a friendly game. And how much of that is applicable to uh, the street? Well, I mean, I'm in my forties. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm and through. I'm through with my street fighting days. I think I can. I, I'm, yeah. Like I say, I uh, I'm not too old to be into a fight, but I am too old to lose. <laughs> so, so in answer to your question, Jr. Um, the way I approached martial arts was is that it's incredibly easy for you to look at that list and come up with your own structure of martial arts. There's more than enough examples. There's even a few examples of, of military um, kind of military research martial arts structures like Sistema and, uh, and like Krav Maga that were included in the game just to give people a sense of how it would go. The thing is, I mean, there's always compromise and things like this, but the structure was reduced down to a few base elements that you can toggle because you are more important than the martial art. The martial art is just giving you a way to learn, but what is really going on is still with you. So each of the characters have uh, kind of five moves, five general moves, which is grapple, punch, kick, block, and footwork. So it's reducing all of martial arts kind of down to those five moves. What martial art you have helps you advance and train the technique in one or two or three of those things and maybe gives you some weapons training. But it's still you who is doing the training. You're deciding where to put those pips uh, to be a better boxer with your technique or to be a better, like to in increase your kick. It doesn't matter to a certain extent, it doesn't matter what martial art you're choosing because you, as an individual, you're making the choice. 
Um, so that structure allowed it so that, yeah, you were studying, uh, you know, Western rushdown boxing for about three years. And then your, your teacher had a heart attack and had to stop uh, uh, training anymore. And now he's just convalescing and he's still your friend, but you go to see him and stuff because you learned a lot about him and you invested him, but now you're going to go out and learn something else. And that's when you started at a kickboxing gym that's down the road and, and developed a new teacher. And now you're training up other parts of yourself that you weren't training before. And so you have a martial career and, a, and it, it becomes a lifestyle that you kind of structure through. And a big part of this <clears throat> is the nature of violence. Violence is terrible. <laughs> and it's, 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 uh, you know, I can't tell you how many fights I would get into as a teenager. And, and you're thinking like, I don't want to be here. I don't want to be doing this. Like, this is not, this is right. not, it, it has a certain kind of perverse glory, but at the same time, like, you know, you're afraid and in you're just one, like, it's one thing to be fighting some guy and have it be honorable and sequestered, but that's not usually how these things go. Usually you're fighting some guy and you have to worry about his buddy coming up behind you and clocking you in the back of the head. Right. So it's, how do we take this aspect of violence, try to celebrate it and enjoy it on one hand and also have a responsible perspective on it on the other hand. So that's the kind of tension at the heart of both Fight to Survive and Solo Martial Blues is you keep finding yourself as a character, you keep finding yourself in these violent situations, in this violent lifestyle. What are you doing to try and perpetuate this violence? How can you get out? How do you keep, but you keep going in it. And uh, so that's the, that's the heart of the game, really. It's, it's martial arts meets heart. Well, I, I think so, that's a very interesting thing is that you put a sense of morality into it speaking of morality in real fighting if you're if you're playing in any kind of competitive circuits like certain people get reputations like oh this is the jerk that'll sucker punch you or whatever um skirts the letter of the, the rules is there any mechanism in your game for like that kind of consequence for your actions Oh, like, okay, well, first of all, there is a mechanism in the game for doing things like that. Like, I don't know, you talked to Nick about a bar fight earlier. You know, one of my favorite old techniques was the car keys. You throw the car keys up in the air, and then when they're looking up at the car keys. And <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, like, there are things like a sucker punch structure that have worked into the game that make a lot of sense, that make things like reenacting Roadhouse a lot more accessible, or or the the bar fight really best of best. Uh, but, <laughs> but in the, uh, so those kinds of structures are possible. Do they have repercussions? Well, yes, absolutely. Uh, your reputation is everything and who, how the other NPCs and how these characters interact with you and, uh, what you do about it, um, can determine your fate as a character in terms of life and death. Certainly that's true of fight to survive. Solo Martial Blues, it's a little bit more contained because it's just you and the text, right? So there's only so much uh, latitude you can have for for dirty fighting or throwing sand in somebody's eyes or anything like that. Okay. Um, is this a game? So obviously this Kickstarter is going to get funded. I have absolute faith in you. It gets funded. This book gets published. Is there any plans? Um, and I, we asked you the same thing about the, the Fight to Survive where you're going to be doing supplements to this maybe later where they can keep adding to it even if it doesn't get the kickstarter 
Well, it depends on interest. The solo Marshall blues is almost halfway there and it's about five days ago we launched. So we're, oh, it's going until March 1st, 2024. We're doing pretty well as far if as it, I mean, yeah, it, it's the thing is it's on crowdfunder, which is a bit of a handicap in some ways to it. And also it's the month of February where everyone's crowdfunding, right? So, uh, it's a high competition month. I'm confident that we're going to fund. If we don't fund the book's still going to happen because it's already done. So it's going to happen one way or another. It's just, let's get it out to people. Let's get people excited. Let's make this an event. It gets to be fun. Like having it as an event is fun, period. I like events. Are there any other plans? Well, I always had a, there's two books I really want to make <clears throat> in this line. I've got a lot of other tabletop role-playing games to make, like a lot of other tabletop role-playing games to make. I've got six planned for this year. Uh, so I want to do other things, but in returning to this universe, there's two things I want to do. One is a book that is just Kung Fu. That is a full on Shaw brothers, golden harvest, Shaw scope, Kung Fu bonanza, uh, where we can do a proper, like five deadly venoms and like 36 chamber style structure. And that's one. The second one is the Jean-Claude Van Damme movie cyborg about Ooh, a oh, apocalyptic, like a post-apocalyptic Kung Fu or, or I guess he's, I think Jean-Claude Van Damme was Shotokan karate, but the, it's uh the point is like a, a post civilization martial arts structure that would accommodate things like cyborg and fist of the North star, which was basically just martial arts, Mad Max. Right. And, uh, and other like post civilization martial arts, I think would be super fun. Uh, so that's the other one that I would want to do out of the, out of the lot. And if this particular solo Marshall blues is, is very, very successful, then I can always do another book with another 10 years and another book with another 10 years, another book with another 10 years. I, I plotted out the history of the city over a hundred years. So it's, it's within arm's reach and it's just a case of, do people want it? Okay. I'm down. It sounds interesting. Um, so you said it's it doesn't require dice to play this one. It's um, are there, are there charts and tables they have to have to print things out then? Like how do they determine like the win or loss of every event? So like Fight to Survive, there's a little bit of a rock, paper, scissors structure with the moves. So you okay. know that if you uh, somebody's punching and if you kick, your kick is going to beat their punch because it gets there sooner because you have more space you know that if somebody's going to block it's going to block that punch well it might block the kick you're going to have to compare technique you know that if somebody's doing footwork it's going to move away from that kick because you had to plant the other foot so you know the relationships between the moves when you're called upon to fight you pick three moves because at least this is how i am <laughs> in a fight i can't think farther than three moves ahead because it's not necessarily going to go the way i wanted to like oh they they blocked that. I didn't expect them to block that. So you pick three moves. You can issue them in any order, but you pick three of them. And then you look up on a little chart to see what your opponent in the text has done. So you know you're leading with a punch, for instance. And then you look up a little chart in the back of the book and you're like, oh, he kicked. Oh no, his kick is going to beat my punch. Oh, well, good thing I prepared a footwork. So I'm just going to dodge out of the way, like from his kick. And then you look up his next move and you're like, oh, he comes in for a punch. Oh, that punch is going to catch up with my footwork. We're in a, this brick back alley. I don't have a lot of room to maneuver. So what's the other move I've got? Oh, I was playing it defensive. I packed another block. Okay, I'm going to block the, 
the punch that's coming in. That's great. What's his last move? Oh, another punch. Oh, it's not going to get through. Awesome. I didn't get hit. The round's over. Nice. So you're kind of dynamically comparing what's going on. It's very exciting in the book, so long as you have the chart handy. It's very exciting to be like, to not know what your opponent is going to do. This almost and, sounds like it could work on a card game style too. Like I'm, I don't know, Magic the Gathering, Pokemon type deal. Well, you, you know, it's, it's funny you say that, JR, because I did do up a deck of combat cards that you can order through drive through RPG. Oh, that, nice. you, that is a deck of references for the punches and the kicks and the and the footworks, what have you, but also comes with, I think it was 12 like ready to go NPC fighters that you can that you can pop out. So things like a a, a, a sailor on the docks or things like a a big heavy bodyguard bouncer man or or a, a yakuza or this or that you know so it's a it's a fun little pack of combat cards um and a handy rules reference as well for the fight so you can keep track would of it work for both the uh, fight to survive and the game solo yeah, game absolutely absolutely it does yeah outstanding um i just you know, kept thinking like when you're doing the rock paper scissors you could almost see that like like a card game going back and forth well i'll see you know where, I don't know. I, I could see that being a fun, fun in a card format. Well, you can. What I found is that if I'm going to conventions and I'm teaching the game to people for the first time, the cards help me conceptualize them uh, and help people conceptualize the action. But it becomes so intuitive when you learn it that by the end of the session, maybe the end of the second or third session, um, people do away with the cards and they can just do it with their with with memory or with what they've written down and just like write down their three moves and just scratch them out as they go okay that actually does sound interesting and you said that um card deck if people want to buy that as a supplement they would buy it separate from the crowdfunder they'd go to what um they would go to drive through rpg or drive through cards uh and they are the fight to survive combat cards that is a i will throw those in the show notes just so that way um okay Sure. They're just a fun little add-on. I tried to give as much value as possible. So it's not just a bunch of move reference cards. It's also a bunch of opponents and it's also a tracking card. And it's also a little tiny map of the city that actually printed very well. I was surprised because the city is pretty complicated, but it, uh, it came out well on a little playing card. Were you able, is that, that's another thing you, you have part of this game as you're going through this town that you created. Um, is there a way where you can print out like a street map almost that you could spread out on the table while you're playing? I made a file of a big map available to the Kickstarter backers. I should put one. I should put that up on the website. Yeah, that is possible. Jared. I just haven't, I guess, made it publicly accessible yet. Oh, it's on the discord. Yeah. It's on the discord under the resources tab. I put it up. Thanks. Nice. Because yeah. there's some some third party entities where you could go like, I don't know, Office Max or something, whatever. I don't know if you have that in Canada, but something along those lines, a lot of them will let you print stuff if it's just for you, even if it isn't like even if you don't necessarily own the IP because people print stuff for their games all the time. Yeah, I mean, there's a there's a good copyright notice at the beginning of the book of my book that says, please print the play materials that you like like absolute yeah. permission is given because ah, what's you're supposed to expect people to play. Unless they can yeah. I had one where I printed something to, to edit it and they gave me grief. So I had to get a letter from the publisher. It's like, no, he's printing this to edit it. But generally speaking for game stuff, I think it's kind of understood. They expect you to print stuff. 
I, I can't imagine. I mean, I must, there must be some out there, but I can't imagine anybody complaining. Uh, the, the text in the front of my book is cribbed from far better books than mine. And it says that please copy out materials that you need in order to play the game or to broadcast the game over a live stream or to play in a public space or et cetera, et cetera. Just to make sure that like, I'm sorry, it's your game once you've got it and I want you to have it. So I love that you're a very uh, consumer focused player focus. Cause sometimes some of the bigger companies, it feels like they get so greedy. They want to charge you for everything, nickel and diamond you to the end to the point where it just stops being fun to engage. I think the, that's where the, a lot of the indie games come in. Cause they're just, that sense of fun is still there, which is why we're doing it in the first place. Yeah. I'm, I'm a guy who runs a weekly game and a monthly game and another monthly game, you know, because I love playing. I'm, I'm in the hobby. I live it. And my publishing ventures are, are rinky dink. You know, this is, I'm a small indie publishing house. This is only like a, maybe a part-time income for me. And, uh, and I'm just, I just want to be doing it. I just want to be here. And if people are going to play my game, I am, I am in it just for the faint praise of somebody saying, Oh yeah, I know your game. <laughs> like, okay. So if, um, if a player approached you and be like, I wrote this supplement for your game and we used that, are they going to uh, get in trouble if they, if they start talking to you about it in your discord? <laughs> some, some publishers get a little weird about that kind of fan. Are style. you kidding? I would be so flattered. Um, if, if somebody said they wanted to publish something that I might have to have a conversation because I'd be like, Oh, right, God, right. Like, have I got to do an SRD or something? I don't, know, I don't know. But, uh, but if, if people are, people are writing and people are engaging, that's all that any of us could ever ask for as a publisher. I'm just picturing someone who's like, I have this one very niche, narrow uh, martial arts that I just have to have. So I had to write a supplement for it so I could put it into the game. I, I could see that kind of stuff happening. I would be giddy. <laughs> like already people share with me, they're super cool characters. In fact, there's uh, there were two pages in, in Fight to Survive that were just backer characters. I'll be honest, when I put that up as a Kickstarter kind of stretch goal, I was prepared to get some pretty lousy characters you know, or some pretty generic characters, but every single one of those characters was so preposterously interesting. They have since worked their way into my own games. Nice. Uh, I'm just picturing now they used to do on the history channel, this thing where you'd get these, these warriors that never met and you would do this, you'd figure out like what the stats were and you'd run simulations to see who would win. So like Spartans versus, I don't know, ninjas. Rangers. It was Spartans uh, versus Rangers. Yeah, or, or but there, I could just see that working with the various martial arts forms that never met each other, and just seeing which one wins. Like a, a remake of that show with just various martial arts styles could be interesting. I mean, martial arts styles, Fight to Survive and Solo Martial Blues does not approach it like this. But you could conceptualize martial arts styles as Pokemon, right? Because they say that uh, the Mantis Fist style, the, specifically the Wang Lang Northern Mantis, was specifically designed to overcome the uh, the, the Shaolin style of, of combat. So is the Shaolin's temple style, the generic Shaolin's temple style, so like, um, you know, the, your, your basics, your, your Mizongs. Is it better? Is it is it a bad style because Manta style can overcome it? Well, no. It's just it's it's designed to overcome it. So there are you can make those kind of structures and claims because a lot of these martial arts were developed out of necessity. Like Tibetan White Crane has huge sweeping arm movements because they were wearing snowsuits. Uh, oh, is that is that the ideal 
martial art to be doing in a, in a hot climate? Well, no, probably not. Um, so there's a lot of variables behind what these structures of martial arts are. And I, and it would be, I think, I think you could do that in a way I think, but the problem is the fighter matters more than the martial art. And I don't know anybody who sticks 200% to their martial techniques when it, it you have, you're in the middle of an interaction, like things fall away, adrenaline spikes and your technique gets sloppy and you start mixing things up. And to a certain extent, that's good. Like a lot of the punches in karate, especially are structured around overemphasizing the arm motions so that you can tighten them up in a real fight so that you could, you know, you don't have to sink your hand all the way down to your hip. It's just, what's important is knowing that the corkscrew motion is where the power is and that you want the power coming uh, up from out of your other hip and then planted from your foot. So, so long as you've got that, you've got the karate punch. You don't need to make something that's going to be aesthetically beautiful. If you, if what you need to do is get the punch off. Right. So I don't know that the martial arts are ever truly expressed in a fight. Uh, they're just tools to help you express yourself in a fight. Okay. There's my, there's so I, I clearly don't know as much about martial arts. All I know about Shaolin, for instance, is David Carradine in that one movie series from like the seventies. Kung, Kung Fu. Kung Fu is great. Was, wasn't he supposed to be a Shaolin monk? Yeah, he was a Shaolin monk. Uh, Kung Fu is great. Donnie Yen is apparently remaking that. Oh, as, as that'd be good. Yeah. But, um, Okay, now, so if you mentioned you don't care if people print things to play the game, obviously this is for the solo one, but it's because it's in the same world. If players wanted to like live stream their games for for this or for uh, the other one, are you is that allowed? Are you kidding? I would be your first cheerleader. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take that as a yes. Yeah, no, no, that's very much a yes. I would I would be super happy uh, for people to live stream. I'm always interested in how people interpret the rules like um i don't know if you know john wick he's is the developer who developed seven seas and uh oh not the john wick i was thinking about okay no no there's two two movies relevant to this uh the the tabletop role-playing game john wick but he he had fight to survive on his 30 days of character creation for uh in december i'm like oh john wick john wick knows what's going on that's that's nice (laughs) and uh and he flubbed one of the rules and I'm like, Oh, okay. All right. All right. I see. I see how it's going, John Wick. Uh, but, um, I don't know. It, it's, it's always interesting. The stress test of people interpreting things from their perspective. I was on another interview for this and, uh, the guy knew a lot about fight to survive. And he said, Hey, how come you're making the transition of solo martial blues doing every single year? Uh, and, and like going in sequence of the years because fight to survive, you didn't always, you, you skipped years often. And I'm like, I didn't say that in the text. I said, you could skip years. And I'm interested in the fact that you're skipping years. That's really interesting. That's neat. I, I, and some people have gotten back to me saying that they play that way as they do a year here and a year there. And then they skip a bunch and they do a year here and a year there. And other people are just doing like year after year, after year, after year, after year to give a really thick sense of progression. And, uh, the game can be played in a lot of different ways. So I would be super pumped to see somebody's uh gameplay out um just to see where people take it in terms of an imaginative space so you mentioned Uh, 
you take it by the year. So do you factor in the wear and tear that that kind of life takes on your body as you age and that sort of thing? Is that factored in to the gameplay? Incredibly. Yes. Like if you, I don't know about you, but in my forties, I definitely have uh, a dislocation from a fight that happened when I was in my early thirties that never healed properly. And uh, like, so I wanted to make sure that that kind of structure was in the game you can be nursing a wound for years. Um, it's all about hard choices. So you're moving through the years. Your body's going to be slowly deteriorating. You're just not going to be as good at, of a fighter as you used to be, even as your technical skills or your know-how is going up. Uh, and uh, you're going to have to reach a point in Fight to Survive, role-playing martial arts meets heart, certainly, where you can't continue in the martial lifestyle and you need to find a successor and pass on your martial lineage to someone else. Uh, so that they have somebody can take up the baton and that can become your character. Um, there isn't the same structure of succession in solo martial blues just because it's one lonely fighter. So there's, there's nobody to take over for you, uh, because you're running your character through the gauntlet. Right. Uh, but, but the things that you do and the fights that you get into can hurt you badly in ways that you can't always mend from very easily. Okay. Um, is there like how do you calculate that in so like one bad hit to your eye you could be blind out of one eye so do you factor those kinds of things in and how do you determine that okay well if you want to get into the to rules you've got um check boxes to represent your health and so the first checkbox, the first bracket is is bruised and then it's beat up and then it's knocked out and then it's uh, dying. You've got three checkboxes in each of those. When you get hit, it's usually just for one checkbox, but you could get hit by, say, a baseball bat, which is like three checkboxes. Yeah. Each time that you um, fill in a checkbox for health, you get a choice. You can either keep filling in in the bracket that you have, or you can move up to the first of the next bracket. The advantage of filling up to the first and the next bracket is you get to, to knocked out pretty quickly. And then you can, you can actually be knocked out and knocked out works the way actually being knocked out works, which is to preserve your body, right? To prevent you from getting into more fights. So you have a choice about whether or not you get knocked out. So you can choose to kind of fill up those brackets and each of the first ones are easy to heal. So you can get rid of that. If you choose to really sink in your heels and really take the damage that those, each of the, bra the, the check boxes as they go up in each bracket are harder and harder to heal. So ch second check mark boxes become a bigger deal. They're a lot harder to heal. Third check mark boxes, it might be years before you can actually heal that kind of injury. So each time you get hit, you are choosing how much you're wanting to stay in that fight or if you want to give up. Right. And it, and it's kind of like, is that real? Well, it's kind of like that unconscious choice that you make when you feel that impact on your face and you're like, do I want, do I want to rise up and do I want to damn the consequences and see this through or do I really need to fight this and can I just let it go? So the health structure kind of emulates that. That, really that resonates with me in, in a particular bar fight that I won't go into specifics, but I was losing. <laughs> My head was swelling up like uh, Stuart from uh, Family Guy. 
and I had the good graces to be like, hey, man, I, uh, how about we go back in and I buy you a beer <laughs> instead of continuously beat my ass like you're doing because I don't know how, I mean, I'll keep getting up because I'm stupid, but I don't want to keep getting up. I'd rather have a beer. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if only all, everything could resolve as peacefully as that. Right. And, you know, right. I found that most of the fights that I've got into have ended with booze, <laughs> have ended with peace, have ended with, with, yeah. with reconciliation. Break, breaking bread is yeah. as you will, you know, even though that's the old trope so about hey, most, most young boys, their best friends started as a fight in the schoolyard. Oh, absolutely. It was over like it's your best friend kind of thing. Like I, there's something like, to be hey, said. You want to get, get a Dr. Pepper after this? Because <laughs> nice. like, oh, yeah, that sounds great. So, and, JR, and in answer to your question, there's a health system in place that's pretty, it's simpler when you see it happen than how I've explained that it gives you a series of hard choices about how you want to distribute that damage for. Do you want to stick in this fight longer and potentially have a lot of long-term injury, or do you want to to let it go? You know, I will is say there is there a offer a beer option? <laughs> like I'm tired of fighting. Can can we go get a drink? Well, it says in the text because all fights break down into two out of three rounds, regardless of the round structure. Could be a complete artifice. Okay. It doesn't have to be. It it partly it's just a consideration of there are other people around the table and you don't want to spend too long on a one-on-one -on -one fight with these guys. Uh, and partly it's just to, let's get to the point. We don't want to have unlimited numbers of rounds. Best two out of three. So the text is very clear about after each round, stop, you stop, and you have to consider, is this something you want to continue to pursue? Uh, you, you put a good breakdown of the, uh, the rock, paper, scissors thing in the Kickstarter, well, crowdfunder, excuse me, uh, page. So I think... I mean, it's it's pretty simple to conceptualize, even having never played it. So I think that helps. So the rest of it's just how you track the results of that, right? Yeah, and it's call and response. I do one thing, you do one thing, you do one thing, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, the only time that kind of breaks is with defensive moves. So for instance, if I decide to turtle and I open up with a block and I'm just going to keep my high block and you're going to just punch, 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 I can block them all and then return with a vicious counter of some kind. So there's a lot of tactics involved in this, um, which makes it feel. Oh, he froze. Um, we'll, we'll, we'll prompt him when he comes back. Cause I think he's going to be okay, but it, the art is definitely um, pretty amazing for this. Uh, did you check out the crowdfunder, Nick? Some of the other art that they had? I did. I did. Um, very impressed by the artwork. I, I yeah, Stephen Wu did great. I did some add-ons too because I really want to play this game. Oh, he's back. Okay, so you were talking about the strategy when you're playing. Yeah, the strategy when you're playing is you're picking three moves out of five, and it's got some complicated implications because, for instance, defensive moves can stand over the course of many other moves. So if I'm coming in with a block and you decide to punch it, you can punch and punch and punch and punch, and I'm making you burn all your moves on my block until I come back with a counter. So there are, there's a lot of strategy involved, but there's only five moves, and you're only picking three of them. So you very quickly can get to the heart of, of what you want to do, especially because if you're in a certain training, like let's say you're taking kickboxing, well, then your kick is much better 
So you have certain biases. Let's say you're fighting a sumo wrestler. You know kind of what he's going to want to do because you know where he's training. Uh, so you're, you're, you're guessing. It's fun. Okay. Well, uh, Nick just pinged me and told me that we're approaching the two-hour mark because I got lost in this one. And I promised him, I'm like, we're going to keep this one tight. You're going to be wrong, early. right? I enjoyed it. got to get up early. And then we still we got nerdy about martial arts and beating each other up. And I absolutely know almost nothing about this topic, but it's fascinating just from, from the minimal exposure I had as a kid. Um, when you come out with your next product, we definitely want you back because these are always fun chats. Uh, and we might have to come up with some panel topics around – martial arts movies and such just because this is i say bring topic. them into the canon topic when we go into that yeah we have to reschedule that one because uh somebody got snowed in when they went skiing so we had to reschedule it but uh we're getting weather damn weather that's right weather is the enemy of soul yeah we're gonna link to the crowdfunder we're gonna link to all your social medias um so is there any one takeaway you want to give the uh listeners um at home for this as we wrap okay. it up the one takeaway that I have for solo martial blues from radio James games is that if you want a martial arts role-playing game that feels down to earth and gritty and has a good sense of verisimilitude and tries to hook you dramatically with the sappy kind of story conventions that you would get in the late eighties martial arts cinema, I don't think you'll ever find another game like this. Uh, okay. This is the one. So please go to crowdfunder. Please try and support it if you uh, if you're able to, uh, and uh, it will be available around all the circuits once it's out, and uh, and you can pick it up then too. And I know it's a tough month, to, and you might not be able to back it now. You're going to hope it funds because you're going to buy it later when your finances. It's going to fund. One thing you can do, even if you can't afford to back it right now, is share it, tell a friend, get the word out, because that you know. Uh, Obscurity is the death of art. And if people don't know it's there, they can't buy it. Please Sharing absolutely, absolutely share because I didn't Kickstarter gets a lot of love on people sharing their Kickstarters. Like when they back something crowdfunder, having less traffic, you need to share all the more like, so please take to the social media. If this is something that you want to see happen. Uh, then vote with your dollar or vote with your, with your attention and share it out. Uh, because the more people we can get on this, the better. When I funded Fight to Survive, when it was all packaged and done, I got countless emails from people saying, wow, this is the coolest thing ever, and I never heard about it. How could I get on it now? Uh, so the word out is the most important thing about things like this. Absolutely. Dear listener, I backed it on air as we were making this, uh, doing this interview. So if you trust me, you trust the show. I don't deliver you crap products. Go on there and back this. Okay. Well, thank you very much, Nick. All right. And so speaking of backing this, uh, one thing that you can also do is if you do back it, reviews matter. So you can re review it at DriveThruRPG, DriveThruCards if you buy the decks there. You can review or leave comments on the crowdfunder. Uh, so anywhere you want to spread the word, you can write about it on your blogs. If you make blogs, that's cool. But sharing the word does help. It does help the right consumer find the right products that will just make their year. So, you know, do your part, spread the word, you know, vote with your dollars. We greatly appreciate it. Uh, where can they find you online, James? You can find me online at radiojamesgames.com. The best place. But you can also look up Fight to Survive or uh, eventually Solo Martial Blues on DriveThruRPG, itch.io, or through the Indie Press Revolution or Compose Dream Games. 
All right, we skipped one of the religion questions because we got nerdy so quick that I didn't have time to ask. So you're going to answer it now, sir. Coffee or tea, and how do you take it? Um, I drink both coffee and tea at different times a day. I, I drink coffee in the morning with cream. Uh, I grew up on a dairy farm. So when I say cream, I mean proper cream, like as <laughs> uh, creamy as possible, but not very much of it. So like dense cream, but but not much. It's so like a cream. Uh, I don't take sugar in my coffee. I'm sweet enough. And I drink my tea clear. Outstanding. All right. And with that being said, if you uh, want to find us, dear listener, L-I-N-K-T-R dot E, Linktree slash Blasters and Blades podcast. Again, Linktree slash Blasters and Blades podcast, where we link to all the things, the bit shoots, the rumbles, the YouTubes, the Twitters. We have our email, Blasters and Blades podcast at gmail.com for professional purposes only. Uh, we also have our Blasters and Blades Facebook group where you can join the chatty chats with us and talk all the things. Uh, if you want to talk to James there, I will ping him so he has to come and answer you. Uh, we will kidnap him if we have to cross you know, the Canadian dateline or whatever that is. I don't know. I'm not Canadian. Uh, and we link to Madam Stabby Stab's Instagram, Twitter, and email. So if you want to send all the hate mail, she's going to make you cry, but that's where it's at. Uh, we have our website, anchor.fm slash blasters, tacky and tack blades. Again, anchor.fm slash blasters, tacky and tack blades, where for as little as 99 cents a month, you can help keep the lights on. These episodes are not free to produce, and we appreciate your patronage. Or you could support the show more directly at buymeacoffee.com slash author J.R. Hanley. Again, buymeacoffee.com slash author J.R. Hanley. Be sure to put the comment section that is for the podcast, and I will keep my co-hosts duly caffeinated. Uh, they will drink until their liver explodes because it's exhausted from processing the caffeine. Is that possible, Stabby? Will you ever surrender? No. <laughs> Speaking of coffee, tea, or hot chocolate, if you want to help the show another way, is Coffee Brand Coffee an affiliate sponsor of the show american coffee producing here in the u.s and shipping to you in the u.s and you know it's uh, it's not a drop ship operation they actually roast it themselves and it's a good company and we get a little bit of a kickback when you buy it uh if you use the code podcast grunts link will be in the show notes you get 10 percent off and that's a pretty good su sweet deal uh i buy my coffee there now because i'm kind of hooked on their uh, the s'mores man i never thought i'd go for that level of fruit fruit but i'm i'm here for it s'mores is the bomb dude s'more coffee yeah. Now I now I want to start a bonfire and actually make real s'mores. Weekend project. Uh, anyway. Come out to the new place when we when we're yeah. up and running. We'll, we'll do that. All right. Thank you for spending some of your precious time with us. For my crazy caffeinated co-host, I am J.R. Hanley, and this was the Blast from the Blades podcast. We'll be back next week at the same time where we'll indulge our love of nerd culture, cheesy jokes, and all things that go boom. Thank you for coming on, James. This was a lot of fun. I'm sorry you lost track of time. I promised you a tight hour, and here we are two hours later. Well, I'm just happy to be here. Thanks, guys. It was a yeah. wonderful discussion, and uh, I look forward to seeing you again. Outstanding. This was a lot of fun. All right, people. Have a nice evening. And